Hi, welcome to ClodiCast. My name is Ajay Clodi. This podcast aims to break down science, history, and politics with the help of experts. Join with me today is U.S. military veteran, ex-FBI special agent, and cyber intelligence professor, Dennis Desmond. Dennis and I are going to be discussing cybersecurity, what are the concerns with our data and privacy, and how to protect ourselves. Hope you enjoy. Thank you very much, Dennis, for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me. I want to quickly start off with your background. Um, how did you get into cybersecurity? And uh, what did you do before uh, you ventured into cybersecurity? Uh, so I, I, I've never been able to decide what I wanted to be when I grow up. And so I've tried a lot of different things. I started out in the Army as a counterintelligence special agent. Uh, in those days, uh, cyber was just developing, just becoming a thing. And uh, so for a counterintelligence special agent to get involved in cyber uh, was actually pretty new and innovative. Um, I've spent most of my, my career in the Army uh, supporting human intelligence operations. And uh, I've had deployments to Desert Shield, Desert Storm, Operation Iraqi Freedom, four and five. Uh, I was trained as a Eurasian foreign area officer. So they sent me to all the charm schools, such as defense language, and also to the uh, George C. Marshall School for Democratic Studies in Germany. Um, I was recruited out of the army to become an FBI special agent. Uh, and I was assigned obviously to the National Security Division. And uh, because of my cyber skills, but also because of 15 years of Russian language, they had me working national security issues on the National Computer Crime Squad, which is pretty interesting. Uh, I focus primarily on uh, state-sponsored hackers and uh, terrorists, and also in the uh, counter-espionage side. And then uh, from there, uh, I actually was assigned to the Defense Intelligence Agency, uh, first as a contractor after I left the FBI. And then as an employee, again, focused primarily on uh, support to human intelligence operations, support to clandestine collection. And much of it, again, was focused on cyber. Uh, I uh, got involved in uh, basically scrubbing and cleaning profiles for the clandestine collectors, pre uh, preparing uh, identity structures for the um, special mission unit operators and uh, removing information where it potentially could be uh, detrimental to the operators or where adversaries might exploit that data. And again, uh, since then, um, working for DIA and then assigned to Special Operations Command, pretty much doing the same thing, uh, protecting the identity of our operators, of the uh, clandestine collectors, but also the family members who may have been threatened or targeted by adversaries. So just in summary, you were first in the military, and then with your experience, you transitioned to the FBI, and then you focused on um, cybersecurity and counterterrorism. Is that correct? Right. right. And it's, it's something that you had a, I would say, like a very good ability to do, and that's why you progressed into the cybersecurity role or cybersecurity focus. Yeah, and I think a part of it too was, um, you know, sometimes people have this, this goal of becoming a certain thing in their careers. 
I was fortunate that because of evolving technologies and modifying my skill sets to adapt to the technologies, I was able to be able to work in some really cool jobs and do some really cool things. And I think rather than plan it all out, as I said, I'm not sure what I want to be when I grow up. It all depends on where technology takes us. So it's been, uh, I've been very fortunate. Came to Australia after uh, I left Special Operations Command, got my PhD, and now I'm teaching as a lecturer, which again, I never would have imagined, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago. All right, just for our viewers who maybe are not quite sure about cybersecurity in general, would you mind kind of defining what is cybersecurity and why should the average citizen or average person be concerned about it? Well, you know, technically cybersecurity is defined as protecting the, the software, the hardware and the networks uh, from compromise, from exploitation or uh, intentional or inadvertent disclosure. Um, focusing primarily on protecting electronic data uh, from either disruption or from uh, exploitation. But it's changed so much in the last several years that cybersecurity now encompasses so much more uh, because of the national security implications, because of our connected environment, I mean, internet of things, smart homes, wearables, uh, autonomous vehicles with sensors. It has expanded way beyond what it was originally envisioned. And now it could encompass risk assessment. It could encompass uh, information protection and defense. Uh, and you know what we've seen government agencies transition to now, rather than just purely defensive, is actually increase their portfolio to doing uh, risk assessment on what the most valuable information that they have is that an adversary would want by doing asset evaluation they may incorporate not only computer defense, but also offensive computer operations and even computer network exploitation activities as again, fully encompassing this portfolio. Um, so why is it important? Uh, the most important thing in my mind is to protect uh, individuals and doing that through the protection of the critical infrastructure, through critical and emergency services, uh, protecting our ability just to be able to function on a day-to-day -day basis because we've become so interconnected uh, with network systems that we rely significantly on computer networks and uh, network systems. So I would say that protecting our critical in, uh, infrastructure, protecting personal data, protecting the ability to companies to, to operate, uh, and of course, um, protecting our intellectual property, our defense information and personal information from uh, theft, misuse or exploitation by adversaries. I'm going to move on to a few of our, I guess, quote unquote, threats that could be a detriment to our privacy or data. Um, starting off, what are your thoughts? Because I know you're heavily focused on state-sponsored uh, cyber warfare, cyber terrorism. What are your thoughts on, for example, you'd hear in the news, Russia or China, they're always every second week or so they're hacking into a database or or they're trying to manipulate elections on social media, for example. What are they, I mean, first of all, is that accurate? Is that like a propaganda that um, the US or an allied nation is spreading or is that actually something that's happening? And if so, what are they trying to achieve? 
Um, so no, it's, it's not propaganda. Uh, these are critical threats. Uh, if you look at Director General Burgess uh, comments recently from the ASIO, uh, he has significant concern about uh, the potential for Australia's adversaries to compromise our critical infrastructure. And we're talking critical infrastructure, we're talking uh, oil and gas supply, we're talking electricity, we're talking water, uh, we're talking emergency services, we're talking about all those basic services of, on which we rely as individuals, but also the country relies to, to function. And he views that as the most significant threat right now is the potential for both domestic and foreign adversaries to compromise these systems. Um, what I see as a threat, um, humans obviously are the, are the biggest uh, weakness as well as the greatest strength. Um, we have problems with uh, supply chain management and verification. If you look at um, the potential such as uh, internet of things devices, smart devices, smart home devices being compromised and not evaluated for potential vulnerabilities, that's a significant threat. There's been a lot of discussion about Huawei as presenting a potential threat, and it's because of the potential connection between a state or a nation state and the private company that's actually producing and then selling these products. So the supply chain is really huge in that area and needs to be looked at better. But as we saw with the solar winds compromise, if we don't evaluate the software applications on which so many companies rely for cybersecurity, we also run into potential problems for, for exploitation and compromise. Again, foreign-based supply chain, not completely evaluated for its security and reliability. And as a result, we saw several different companies taken down because of the solar winds compromise. Uh, ransomware presents a significant threat right now to a lot of companies as well. Uh, and as we've seen, the R Evil group, for instance, that is uh, manufacturing, delivering uh, ransomware is a, is a significant problem. And therefore, uh, both companies, private companies, as well as the government need to partner in order to defend against these potential threats. Um, we're seeing a rise in domestic or onshore extremism. Uh, this especially became noteworthy during the COVID pandemic uh, because more people were at home, more people had time on their hands to go out on the internet. And I think there were a lot of disaffected individuals who were um, basically in disagreement with their government policies and procedures and how they approach COVID. And as a result, you saw some very interesting bedfellows arise, people who may be anti-vaxxers, anti-maskers, extremists, uh, anti-immigration, uh, or possibly national socialists, basically getting together with a common enemy. And in their minds, this was the government. So you've seen uh, increased recruitment of both teens and tweens, as well as uh, regular individuals. So the domestic uh, threat from a cyber perspective is also there as well. They could engage in attacks that would benefit both foreign adversaries as well as domestic. Uh, in fact, in the United States, we've seen religious extremists, uh, right-wing extremists align themselves with Islamic extremists because they focused on uh, their anti-Semitism as a common enemy. Uh, and that is worrisome as well. So there's a broad range of threats uh, that uh, you know, any government has to worry about, domestic and foreign supply chain, uh, looking at potential uh, attacks against both public and private sectors. 
And just to clarify, I guess, for example, on Russia's case, when they tried to meddle with the US elections by setting up false accounts, for example, on Facebook, is that to um, sow discourse uh, in the US public and try to bring down the government within itself? Is that, so, is that uh, their sort yeah. of goal? So information operations, uh, also known as truth projection or psyops, um, propaganda, I'm, obviously those have been around for decades and decades. Uh, they've even probably been around longer than that. It's just the information was passed through runners and messengers. What we've seen now is because of the global reach of the internet and social media platforms, especially uh, the ability of a nation state to project information to sow discourse, to create chaos, distrust in the government, um, and even paranoia and uh, cause divisions within our political parties has been significant. It's unfortunate that uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter and other social media platforms have served as an easy method for nation states to target and so discourse within these uh, Western nations, such as the United States. Uh, the involvement of Russia in sowing discourse and in targeting the 2016 elections has been well known and uh, has been very obvious. And it's very unfortunate that Facebook failed to recognize and react appropriately and to prevent this type of disinformation from being disseminated and to allow the rise of hate groups and the spread of their information as well as uh, targeting other groups as well. And, and that's been very unfortunate, but I think the, uh, the whistleblowers lately have been identifying that Facebook had some major failures and may have actually uh, supported and encouraged uh, this type of foreign operation. And we've, I mean, we've seen the same sort of chaos from China as well. I think they've recently started to do that in social media, um, creating some their own uh, state-sponsored news channels and trying to spread their own propaganda. But I correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel China is trying to, especially with their uh, mass attacks and uh, massive data collections, what are they trying to do with all that data? Are they trying to leverage um, sensitive information on foreign governments or what are they trying to do? Or maybe um, I know China is very big on um, copying the West Western technology um, for their own economic benefit. Do, do you have any insight on what they're trying to achieve? So I've been actually looking at this for quite a few years. I started looking at the specific industries that uh, the APT, Advanced Persistent Threat Hackers, uh, were targeting. And we saw a heavy, heavy um, uh, focus on identity-related industries. So things like uh, uh, the credit bureaus, Equifax, Experian, TransUnion, focus on any industry that would have a large number of uh, um, uh, identity data credentials that could be stolen. One of the worst attacks was against the uh, Office of Personnel Management in the United States, the OPM attack, because they were not only able to get all of the background investigation forms, they were able to get the interview forms, they were able to get polygraph results, plus all the contact data for all of the references that individuals made for their background investigations for obtaining a security clearance. That was, to me, one of the most significant and damaging attacks that has occurred in the last several years. But as we've seen with targeting ANU, 
targeting uh, other repositories of data. Uh, the focus on collecting all of this identity data uh, is significant. And what's the intent? There are so many practical applications. Once you have identity data, uh, you can talk about spotting and assessing targets for recruitment uh, or for blackmail purposes. You can look for those individuals that you want to be able to target specifically for becoming involved with, perhaps as a student looking for a teacher who's involved in innovative research and development, uh, looking at specific individuals who would be uh, a potential threat to China, looking for individuals who have relatives uh, that could be leveraged or blackmailed or pressured to bring pressure to bear on a researcher or on a politician. Uh, there's just so many possible uh, applications once you've got identity data that the, uh, again, it's almost limitless as far as what China could do with that data. That's what I'm seeing specifically as far as them targeting uh, uh, individuals and organizations. But also, of course, there's the traditional approach to stealing uh, intellectual property, which obviously is a shortcut, saves a lot of money and effort in development. And then again, uh, potential applications that would support China uh, from a national perspective. And what are, so just for people who don't know, the five nations is, or the five eyes are, uh, uh, it's an, yeah, it's an alliance between Australia, New Zealand, Canada, UK, and US, um, where we share, um, I guess, intelligence between the five nations. Um, is the, are the five eyes, are they trying to do any, are they retaliating back? Are they also having their own sort of um, cyber warfare against these uh, states, or are they trying to build a safety product protocols? Like, do you have any insight on in what we're trying to do to fight back against this um, sort of terrorism? So there's different kinds of alliances. The Five Eyes Alliance primarily is involved in intelligence uh, information sharing. And the Western nations who are most likely targeted uh, by adversaries, um, you know, Iran, China, uh, Russia, and other nations specifically will work together to develop uh, intelligence threat information that they can share with each other in order to identify potential threats as well as uh, potential methods that these adversaries might use to gain access to network systems. Um, as a result, there's a broad range of, of possible responses. The challenge comes in is in identifying whether or not an attacker is actually state-sponsored is independent, uh, maybe a patriotic organization acting on behalf of, but without direction from a nation state, uh, could be a military organization operating on behalf of a nation state. And it's very difficult uh, to determine what the actual backing is or the motivations of these groups. So in response, the nations have to be very careful in their responses and it has to be very measured and also has to be uh, appropriate for the type of attack that they've withstood. Um, the Our Evil Group, as an example, although it operates out of a certain country, may or may not be sponsored by that nation state. If the nation state fails to respond accordingly, you can basically assume that they're operating with, at least if not the support of, at least with the knowledge of that nation state. And so that takes it into a, a completely different arena as far as the type of methods that you use to shut them down. 
in some cases, law enforcement has the ability uh, to respond appropriately. In other cases, it's a purely military function uh, where they have offensive weapons and offensive capabilities to actually shut down those networks. Again, uh, you have to look at downstream effects though. Uh, if you're taking out a network, you have to be very careful that you're not impacting civilian sector, such as hospitals, such as emergency services. And it needs to be very focused against a specific route. Uh, and you need to be very careful again that your response is measured and appropriate based on what you're uh, carrying. Okay, we've discussed a lot about um, state-sponsored terrorism. I just want to move to a slightly different topic because I guess nowadays we're very interconnected, especially on social. What are your thoughts on um, us as an individual giving a lot of our data and a lot of our privacy rights um, to big technology companies online, for example, uh, Facebook, Apple, Google, Amazon, et cetera? There's a, an old meme that's been circulating for decades, and it says, if the product that you're receiving is free, then you are the product. And what we've seen, again, going back to, I obviously have a bias about identity. Um, identity data is worth a lot of money, as we saw with Cambridge Analytica, as an example, harvesting data from Facebook. Uh, your data, everything that you buy, everything that you do online, with whom you engage, the activities online that you engage, um, everything about you has value because it can be analyzed, packaged, and then resold and used for things like marketing or for influence uh, by private companies. And as a result, we willingly, by uh, having accounts with social media platforms, we willingly give away a lot of our personal data. Uh, that becomes problematic uh, in the long run. But there is an entire industry that has grown up around this. Uh, the, the federal, the uh, financial credit reporting agencies, uh, such as Equifax, Experian, TransUnion, InfoTrack, Dun & Bradstreet, have made a business uh, of selling credit data, of aggregating, analyzing, and then providing this data uh, pretty much to whomever wants it uh, for their own use. Uh, you also have the major data aggregators, such as InfoTrack, Axiom, LexisNexis, and Thomson Reuters. Again, they aggregate, collect all this data, repackage it, and companies like Gartner uh, find a lot of value in it. So by using social media, we are agreeing that we will receive the opportunity to use the social platform for free in exchange for giving up data, as well as for being subject to advertising and marketing. Um, there are some workarounds, obviously, to avoid that. But by and large, most people are happy with that exchange. Um, you're starting to see some changes, such as with the EU and the GDPR, where you have a right to be forgotten, you have a right to have your data eliminated or removed, and you have a right to be fully aware of whatever data is being collected against you. Um, anytime you go to a website, chances are there's a Google Analytics tag there, and that is collecting all about the device you're using, your operating system, the date and time group, the source IP address, where you're going, what you're doing, how long you're there, and they can infer from cookies on your device your overall demographics, uh, how you're likely to vote, um, your gender, your gender preferences, activities, things like that, even your income and education levels. So 
everything around us is designed to collect this kind of data. It's not just social media, but it's everywhere. And again, it's, it's an agreed upon exchange. We give up the data, they give us free services. And do you have any concerns about the mass collection of data that we're giving away for free? Do you think it's something that we should be concerned about? Or do you think because they're solely used for um, uh, marketing services that it's not sort of uh, a concern or not so detrimental to the average citizen? The potential for the data to be misused is there. For instance, um, if your health insurance, say if you're in a Western country that doesn't have national health care, if you're in a, a foreign country where you have to pay for health insurance and you have to undergo checks or reviews to get your health insurance, or you can get private health care insurance in Australia, if that data is used, for instance, if you're searching on cancer and you do a lot of searches on cancer and that data is provided to the insurance company and you're denied coverage because they think you may have cancer, that becomes a problem. If you're denied certain um, access or maybe memberships because of a sexual preference, that's problematic. If you are being pigeonholed into a certain socioeconomic group by whatever agency or club or private organization, yes, that's problematic. So it's not the mere collection of the data, it's who has access to it and how is it being used, which is really of concern. Um, again, where I'm okay with sharing data, I allow that data to be collected because it improves my online experience. Where I'm not okay, I take countermeasures to prevent that data from being collected, including VPN or other measures that I might use. And I guess briefly, could we also speak about um, some of the things that Apple is doing recently? I know they've uh, switched on a um, on iOS 15 and added privacy feature, but they've also put like a countermeasure that they claim uh, they're going to scan photos on the cloud um, uh, against people doing nefarious purposes. Do you do you think uh, what they're doing is actually effective? And do you see any problems with what they're doing? So if you look at um, any mobile device, and it's a tablet, it's a cell phone, uh, it's a laptop, basically any device that you're on is sharing information. Uh, it's sharing information either with the manufacturer, it's sharing information with the app or software developers, it's sharing information through the use of its browser. Uh, so it's not unusual for a device manufacturer or app developer to have information about your usage and again, more detailed information about where you are and what you're doing and how you're using the device and the apps. That's a given. Uh, Apple uh, is very interesting in its approach because while it, it says that it's protecting your privacy, and for the most part, um, it is, as far as other application developers are concerned, uh, it is actually, of course, trying to narrowly focus the collection of data toward Apple and not share it. Uh, for instance, your uh, device comes with location services turned on, again, to help your uh, online experience, to navigation, and all those things, deliver more content. Uh, you can, of course, turn that off. And you can also reset the ads within Apple, which is helpful, and reset the tracking uh, devices that are actually within the, um, the iPhone itself. 
As far as its latest application with iOS 15, now it's backed off a little bit, but the original intent was any images that potentially would be uploaded to the iCloud would be scanned, hashed, and then scanned compared against existing hashes for child exploitation material. It wasn't actually going to review the image itself. It was going to hash and then compare that hash against a known database to see whether or not it matched. If the hash matched, they then would take action. Is it an invasion of privacy? Uh, it's potentially uh, an invasion wherein any images that you're going to upload to the cloud could potentially be compromised and exploited. Absolutely. Um, so at the moment, just to clarify, they're using a, an algorithm. They're not actually having individuals looking at <laughs> pictures, right? So if they get notified that the hash matches that specific image, then will be transmitted to text who will review the image to see if in fact it does match a known child exploitation or um, child abuse type image, in which case then it will be turned over to law enforcement and the subscriber then will be investigated. The actual images themselves, no, they are, according to Apple, are not reviewing individual images unless the algorithm matches the hash. That's correct. Mm. Um, from that perspective, however, uh, as I've seen, um, I trained uh, personnel in, uh, when I was in the FBI with innocent images and trained the decoys and trained the, um, the investigators on open source intelligence collection. What we have seen, uh, and including arrests that I've made of child uh, abusers, uh, has been they are very sophisticated often. They will use code language and they will find workarounds to defeat most technologies that are designed to recognize and stop the transmission of child exploitation material. Uh, all they have to do in this case is they would not upload the image to the iCloud, they would use other means to share those images or they would use another service. Uh, and unfortunately, it sounds good. It's a good story. Hey, we're trying to defeat child exploitation uh, material and pedophiles, but the reality is there's so many workarounds that it's likely to have little impact uh, on the overall transmission or sharing of child exploitation material. All right, and finally, I'd like to also move on from another threat that I think a lot of people are talking about. Um, what are your thoughts on government mass surveillance? Uh, for example, I, in, I think, 2013, uh, Edward, Edward Snowden came out and he started uh, leaking documents stating that, the, you know, the U.S. government was um, uh, doing mass surveillance on their citizens in the name of uh, counterterrorism. Um, I think before that actually got leaked, a lot of people already had some sort of inkling that was happening, but now we had like, you know, definitive proof. Um, what are your thoughts on like domestic governments doing surveillance on their own citizens? And is that something we should be worried about? Um, what's your take on that? You know, I think anybody who's watched the, the Will Smith movie um, pretty much suspects that um, the ability of governments to conduct surveillance is, is pretty sophisticated, um, as well as in the military as well. Uh, whether or not the government is justified, obviously, has to come down to each individual thought. I don't know that from a blanket perspective, you can say that uh, a government um, is or is not justified in its collection. What 
is important is whether or not a government agency is breaking the law. I think that's what's important. I think that the government agencies, especially the intelligence agencies, need to have oversight by the civilian authorities and that they need to have their policies, procedures reviewed on a regular basis to ensure they are fully compliant with the law. Uh, in this case, the NSA does not have the authority to surveil American citizens. Uh, it can only do so when the American citizen is communicating with a foreign national, in which case, again, there, there still has to be a threat. And when you're talking, you know, you know 7 billion people on the planet, it's, it's pretty difficult for an agency to monitor everywhere all the time. Uh, and as a result, they are looking for the greatest threats that are posed potentially to the national security of the United States. And it's the same with any other signals intelligence or cyber investigatory agency uh, in the world. Again, I think uh, civilian oversight is important. I think the review of their policies and procedures is critical. And uh, yes, they have capabilities that, you know, I'm sure Ed Edward Snowden only touched on uh, with his leaps and that they improve and change every year. Um, yeah, that's, it's a very difficult topic to discuss. Yeah, it's very broad. <laughs> uh, and obviously, you know, because of my background and the work with the different organizations, um, uh, I pretty much will leave it to say that I think it's important to ensure that these agencies are not breaking the law and that individuals need to be very circumspect about what they're doing and uh, you know bad guys they're hard to catch and they're going to work really hard to avoid detection and capture and as a result i think that uh, unfortunately there's some necessary capabilities that uh, that we see within our government agencies um, i actually am more concerned about the private companies that are doing the collection and what they're doing with the data but and just a quick segue, um, currently, I guess, since we're in, still on the topic about uh, government um, surveillance or government tracking, what are your thoughts on um, the recent rollout of vaccine passports? I know a lot of citizens who are afraid to take vaccines or they they're okay to take the vaccine, but they're concerned about linking that data into a vaccine passport that can um, track them around everywhere. It's a bit of a concern for them. Um, what do you, do you find it problematic or do you think it's something that we, um, compared to the other uh, actors in the privacy space, we shouldn't really be focusing too much attention on? Um, you know, not to discount the fears that individuals have about being surveilled and collected on, um, but I must say that I, I sometimes laugh out loud when I hear these concerns expressed, uh, especially when I see people walking around with location services turned on on their cell phones, uh, which literally tracks every time you interact, or if you have your Wi-Fi and Bluetooth left on on your cell phone, again, you're, you're pinging and allowing mesh network connections uh, to occur with your device. Uh, most of that happens on your device because of ad serving. This allows companies to serve ads to your mobile device within the application. So they always know where you are and they always know what you're doing. Unless you turn off uh, all of your networking capability on your cell phone and your uh, location services, uh, you're being tracked. So from the perspective of the government, um, yeah. having worked in the US government for 25 plus years or being affiliated with the US government for 25 years, um, I can honestly say that 
while there are certainly individuals who, who might have a malicious intent, overall, um, governments are not generally capable of aggregating, analyzing, and amassing the amount of data that we're talking about and putting it into a coherent uh, misuse against its citizens. Um, private companies, on the other hand, are, uh, and they work very hard because they're incentivized uh, through monetary gains to do that. Uh, as a military, a former military officer, um, I have had so many inoculations given to me uh, for worldwide travel and deployment. Um, I also do bat rescues, so I've had the Lisa virus uh, vaccination. Uh, I went through the Novavax trial uh, intentionally wow. because I wanted to see, uh, again, uh, I wanted to help uh, give something back to Australia. And uh, I just had my first Pfizer jab uh, so I can get my certificate so I can travel. So I'm not concerned about the vaccines. I've had so many in my life. And uh, as a result, uh, I feel healthier and better uh, and more resistant to the various types of diseases. But as a military member traveling around the world, I had a little yellow vaccination, international vaccination certificate I had to carry with me all the time to prove to different governments when I would go through their border check that I was vaccinated, uh, yellow fever or smallpox or whatever it was. And to me, it's the price of freedom. It's the ability for me to travel at will. I, so this is not a new protocol. It's, it's been yeah, done for a no, long time. This has been around for years. I mean, even during the, the Spanish influenza, people had certified uh, certificates showing that they've been uh, inoculated. It, it's nothing new. Um, again, could the government misuse all your check-in data? Could they misuse uh, the vaccine certificate? Um, yeah, it's possible, but why would they when you could just buy that information from data aggregators who are already collecting it? And in fact, that data is actually much more accurate and much more comprehensive than what the government could ever hope to collect. Okay, so we've talked about the threats or bad actors that could be taking our data or misusing our data. How can we, um, how can we actually uh, protect ourselves and how are we unintentionally exposing ourselves um, to giving our data away for free? So pretty much anything you do online uh, and in many cases, even the physical world is collectible, uh, has value. We generate data just by you know, getting up in the morning and looking at our phones uh, or using our phones or uh, even driving our car someplace, uh, we generate data. Um, I think if you use a loyalty card at any of the major shopping uh, stores, you're giving away data. You're telling them all about yourself, how much you earn, what you like to buy, what you like to eat, what you cook, how many are in your family, how often you shop, the products you prefer, the brands you prefer, all of that, like on a loyalty card, is collected. So to get around and go offline, uh, you certainly can take several measures uh, to limit the data collection. And again, you decide when to share the data and what data to share. For instance, if you have social media accounts, don't create them in your true name. Uh, use a nickname or use abbreviation or initials. Uh, you can use alternative identities for different activities. If you've got Netflix, you've got one identity with an email. 
If you have Apple, you've got a different email with a different identity. Uh, if you've got um, uh, online shopping through one of the major stores, again, a different identity and a different email. For each of those, uh, don't use your ATM card, credit card, or debit card. Go out to Woolies or Kohl's and buy a stored value card or a cash card. Uh, use a Netflix um, gift card that you purchased with cash and assign it to that identity and only use it for that purpose. Um, you can uh, you visit privacy.com or uh, visit abine.com as an example, and you can actually generate credit card numbers online that you can use for online purchases, such as through eBay or through other online sites. Um, you can also uh, use temporary emails if you need to verify an account, as an example. Uh, if you have to use social media again, um, you know, change out your email periodically. Use a burner phone or buy a, a, a number either through one SIM or through uh, Dent Wireless and use that phone number for verification purposes. You don't have to use a standard iPhone or Google phone or uh, Samsung that you're gonna use all the time for every single activity. You can get relatively inexpensive phones at these stores that you can use with dedicated phone numbers for that purpose. Um, use encryption. Uh, I use ProtonMail. Uh, I also use Veracrypt with my Gmail. I'm sorry, Virtue with my, uh, my Gmail accounts. Uh, I encrypt my hard drives using Veracrypt and BitLocker. Uh, I use Bleach, the app, not the liquid, <laughs> to delete files. Uh, if I'm concerned about sensitive files, I might use a, uh, I use passphrases instead of passwords. Uh, they're easy to remember, and you can use a, a password manager uh, if you have a lot of accounts. Uh, there's a lot of different things that you can do. Uh, I use CCleaner to clean all of the detritus, the cookies, the history, internet cache off my device uh, when I go out after online. And again, use multiple identities when I go out and do certain kinds of activities, whether it's research, uh, whether it's shopping or whatever. Uh, I don't limit it to one identity for all these different activities. Uh, and these are just a few of the dozens of things that you could actually do uh, to help limit the data uh, that you're sharing and also uh, manage the data that you do share. And what are your thoughts on using, um, let's say, Chinese-made products, for example, a Huawei or Xiaomi phone, or using um, some of their apps, like, for example, TikTok? Is there, mm -hmm. um, is there a risk to actually using those devices or apps? Yeah, absolutely. Um, anytime that you buy any kind of device or use any kind of software application, Again, you have to uh, be aware that those devices potentially could be compromised. Um, you know, Huawei is a perfect example. Again, because it's manufactured by a private company that potentially has connections to the, the state, uh, there are potential issues there. You have to be very uh, circumspect in your use of smart home devices and what kind of data is being collected, who the manufacturer is. Um, you know, there's been articles on nanny cams being compromised using the software application Showdown to look for vulnerabilities where people have left the administrative username and password enabled. Uh, you have to be very careful about what kind of data is being collected by some of the applications on your PC, laptop, or mobile device. It's a matter of doing research and figuring out before you buy something whether you should buy a Huawei device or say a, a Nighthawk 
router, which one has a greater threat or a greater vulnerability and what kinds of data potentially it could be collecting and sharing. That's just simple research online to see if there's been any cases or any reports. And it's the same thing with applications. Look at those apps, see what's being used, how they're being used, who the developer is, and if there's been any complaints. Uh, and that goes pretty much for anything. And I guess a final fun question, is there a possibility for any of us in this modern age to completely disappear, like get off the grid? <laughs> <laughs> is that possible? It's possible, but difficult. And it means you basically moving way out into the country, paying cash for the house. Um, you're still going to have to pay taxes. You're going to have to set up a trust through which uh, all of your bills are paid. Uh, you can completely shift to renewables, such as wind, solar, and uh, geothermal or hydro. And uh, you can operate in an environment that's almost self-sustainable, including growing your own food. But again, it's very, very difficult. Uh, it is done. There are people around the world who do it. Uh, but again, it takes a lot of preparation. It can be very expensive, uh, very time consuming. So you have to consider that uh, if you decide to do that. But in today's environment, it is really, really hard, especially if you expect to receive any services or products uh, from the state or federal governments. And any closing advice for people who are interested to learn more? I think you mentioned privacy.com. This uh, resource yeah, you could... Yeah, there's a bunch of sites. Privacy.com is good. Um, uh, I have also used abine.com as far as the, their products I found very useful. Um, I would, if you really want to know what the, the threat issue is, I seriously would read the ASIO Director General's report that was just released this last week. And the ACSC Annual Cyber Threat Report was also just released. If you want to look at what the cyber-focused threats are specifically, uh, there are several good resources as well. Uh, Epic is a good resource. And then uh, there's some nice privacy uh, groups out there that are very good at providing some uh, uh, guidelines as far as how to limit data sharing and also protect your privacy as well. Thank you very much, Dennis, for your um, explanations today. I think the audience got a lot of value from discussing about cybersecurity and cyber safety and hopefully we actually practice it as well <laughs> instead of um, just let it go in from one year and out the other thank you so much for today thanks for inviting me i appreciate it very much